Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. All right, and welcome back to Micromobility. Um, we have with us today, as always, Horace. How are you doing today, Horace? I'm doing great. I'm actually, my voice is going to be a little bit stressed because I've been doing podcasts um, already today. <laughs> I've, I, I did a critical path with Judd uh, this morning. It's now on the East Coast. It's afternoon here. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Is that is that one of the uh, ex machina podcasts? No, this was a this was back to Apple. It was it was just uh, talking about. Uh, the new iPad, and I'm using it to record right now on this great microphone as well. And then we talked a little bit about the um, lack of reporting about the um, the unit numbers. Um, it's a bit uh, it's a bit more you know like hardcore Apple financials, but uh, I think yep. that's what people like. So uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Oh, it's bread and butter stuff, for sure. Hey, um, well, I wanted to t- take the chance today to talk through uh, some really interesting news that came through in the last week, which is the launch of Bird Platform. Um, so I'll give a little bit of background for it, and then we can kick off. The, the model that they've got is to provide uh, anybody who comes along with effectively a franchise. So you tell us what, what color you want the scooter to be, um, and uh, and what you want the name of it to be, mm-hmm. and effectively you can buy from us these scooters, um, and then you can plug them into our charger and uh, mechanic network. Um, you can use our app. We develop a kind of a white label app, and you can have it. But they but the scooters will also work on the Bird app as well. Um, and for for all of that, you just pay us twenty percent per ride fee. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of uh, you know talk on Twitter around, hey, this is a great way for Bird to be able to get around the quota caps um, in a lot of cities. Um, for for you know, Bird you might have a thousand scooters or six hundred fifty scooters in particular markets, but you know, someone comes along with and gets another quota. It's effectively a Bird deployed scooter, a, mm-hmm. you know, and able to be used on the Bird app. But it's a different company per se, so they're able to get more scooters into the market. Curious, Horace, as always. Um, thoughts on this? Sure. Um- it's it's not unexpected in, in my in in my way of thinking because I I, I had anticipated a franchise model would emerge uh, for for the at least the scooter business if not the bike business and the reason for this is simple you're looking at globally markets numbering in the thousands and by market I mean cities or 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 townships or or regional uh, urban areas I'll give you an example in Europe there's 500 cities with more than uh, 100,000. So, so just Europe alone is is a few hundred large cities. Uh, then you look at cities be- below 100,000. There's plenty, of, hundreds more. And and so and, and I, if I if I remember correctly, half the population of Europe lives in those 500 communities. And and so if you then think about globally. Um, you know that, that the Europe represents about five percent of the world's population, uh, so mm-hmm. you, you know you've got to multiply by twenty. So let's say there's a thousand communities in in uh, in Europe uh, that that could be individually divided up as as potentially a community for for one 
system of sharing. Obviously, the larger communities yep. would have multiples, but but still, you're dealing with uh, probably a global total of you know uh, uh, twenty thousand communities that need to be served. And and the the problem is that even if you are you know uh, an Uber like entity, which is uh, you know global, you have difficulty managing uh, individual deployments on that scale. You might be able to run you know hundreds. But you're not going to re- be able to run thousands, and certainly not twenty thousand different. Uh, think about just the, uh, the the information flows to central office, and you're having multiple layers of middle managers and all that other stuff. It just doesn't work operationally. This is for that very reason is what we ended up with franchising as a model. So how many how many McDonald's restaurants there are? How many uh, uh, of all of these franchise? Uh, you know, Coca-Cola is a franchise. So, how many bottling plants does Coca-Cola have? The logic for franchising is that you want to have local operations done by local people who are more autonomous, and then have and yet have the brand and the operations template process. All of that be standardized. That way, you know, at least twenty percent is intellectual property, and the rest eighty percent is is uh, uh, local knowledge, and that that is the that is the split for a lot of businesses that uh, essentially are, are rooted on on the ground. They have phys- they have to have physical presence. They have to have permits. They have to have uh, sourcing and local t- labor that has to be sourced locally. So mm-hmm. In all cases, you know, when you're dealing with this issue of of retail, when you're dealing with issues of uh, distribution, even bottling and, and distribution of drinks and things like that. You've got to work through a lot of local issues. Uh, you've got to be essentially boots on the ground. And so for, for anything like that, the scale alone d- dictates that you have to have a franchise model. And, and the, you know, I think uh, the reason, by the way, you can see businesses which are global, which are not franchised, which, but that's because they don't have boots on the ground. So if you, if you look at iTunes, or you look at Apple franchises like businesses that are yeah, absolutely. Um, distributing things on the internet, even even Amazon to some degree. Yeah, Amazon has sort of a half a boot on the ground because they have to have logistics, but face-to-face retail is, is a lot of touch points with customers. Uh, and even Apple has a, has a centralized retail, but that's still numbers in the hundreds of stores. And, and that's, this is where if you look at scale, there's nothing bigger than transportation. The number of vehicles... And the number of depots, the number of charging points, all these things start to look, uh, you know, to be at least hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of markets, hundreds of thousands of employees, and and possibly tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of vehicles. And that's just one operator. And it's going to obviously scale with multiple operators as well, because it's not likely to become a monopoly. So, yes, you might argue that this also allows Bird to not deal with a lot of the regulation or, or quotas, but I don't think that's the main reason. I think the main reason is to to be able to, to scale without having to have your own people everywhere and and having having all that burden of operations and and decision making and uh, uh, it's, it's just too much. So so anyway, uh, by the way, I, I, there will be parts of the world which will be. Uh, operating separately of any one single franchise. You know, I would imagine China, Japan will be very localized and uh, due to, you know, barriers of entry of some kind, um, regulatory boundaries, 
and so on. But uh, the, the, this is going to be very fluid. So uh, so anyway, I, I, I've always expected franchising would take root. Uh, this is good to see as a, as a first. And of course, we have our sponsor, Joyride, which is proposing to do uh, more or less similar, similar ideas. And, and, and yeah, that, that, that already predates, you know, predates the, the bird announcement. So to your point around Uber, I mean, one of the things that, uh, so in Australia and New Zealand, when we were rolling it out here, um, you know, the sort of the, the two-sided market aspect of it really only worked into markets, you know, like I think the smallest city that we went into would have been about 50 or 60,000. And then we tried to do, you know, some of the more, oh no, probably even bigger than that, to be honest, probably more like 80 or 100. Um, and then you'd go into, you know, like highly seasonal markets. I think the smallest market that we'd have in Australia and New Zealand would be Queenstown in New Zealand, which is about sort of 20 or 30,000 people, but obviously very highly seasonal. It's like a big uh, tourist town. So it but had a even- lot of people coming in who we, who we users. But, but then the challenge, right, is that like, well, you, you know, I was, I was just having conversations. You could deploy, you could deploy 50 scooters to a small beach town um, and, and make a solid little business that some, some you yeah. know, kid could it, run it, for a summer. Even, <laughs> yeah, but you, even if you look at uh, Uber's got a lot less of a problem of dealing with operations because you, you don't have to fix the cars, right? The, 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 you have the driver is owning the vehicle and has to deal with maintenance and has to deal with fuel and has to deal with all the things that that are essentially oper, oper, uh, uh, you know operationalize the, the the business of of ride hailing so that's a that's an owner operator essentially they become a franchisee of uber just being, right. just yeah, being yeah, a driver and where whereas here w- with the model of scooter sharing is there there is a certain degree of uh of maintenance balancing and just taking care i would argue just the, the the main the main issue is taking care of permits taking care of handling and holding the hand if you will of the of the local authorities and 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 being connected to them uh in a way that that you know allows you to operate that is the greatest overhead that is the greatest burden right now uh, because i think the vehicles are tending to get charged and 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 uh well there's some maintenance i think more and more i've heard i actually met a gentleman um recently who who became uh a charger and became a maintenance person for 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 uh i believe it was lime but the idea is that that you know as these vehicles also get more sophisticated they're going to be less disposable and they'll be more requiring maintenance and support and and so that work has to be done locally. Anyway, I think it's it's a natural evolution of the business model. I think it's going to allow the scaling to happen certainly more quickly. And we, as you know, we were already committed, uh, or I, I I sort of stuck my neck out saying we're going to see 10x growth for for at least a couple of years in terms of ride ride volume. And that means you know we're at uh, 20 million year one. We're going to be at a 200 million year two um and and possibly uh, two billion a year three that's that's how fast this should go and and so uh it's it's an open question how much further we'll go but uh it's certainly ramping faster than uh than than car sharing and so to get to maintain this rate you'll you'll you, you can see well we need franchise model we need we need a way to bring more hundreds and hundreds or thousands of people to be handling the operational side. And as direct employees, it's a lot harder. 
that's that's the question here. When you when you get when you have the charger network, it's it's outsourcing uh, some of the maintenance or some of the operational issues. When you're getting to to actually management of the whole system, relationships, etc., that seems to be a franchise model in the future. Absolutely. Hey, well, there's one thing that I want to I want to bring up there, which is um, <clears throat> I've been having conversations with um, with uh, people based in in Asia and in Australia, and New Zealand, and in the states, all in scooter companies, and all of them are saying, look, we are running into limitations around the caps and the way that cities are responding to 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 scooter rolled out, which is like we can see there's intense demand for these things. Um, and but you know just the decision making time, time frames for a lot of these cities is are really slow, um, and the the oftentimes it's like oh well look you've got a cap of a thousand you look at San Francisco it's got caps of six hundred and fifty scooters for two mm. operators or three operators, and I look at all of this and I think you know you can see there's a heap of demand there you can see that there's a lot of want and willingness to go and. and but there's a social technology aspect to this, which is we have a lawmaking system that takes a long time and it's a bureaucratic um, discussion back and forth among all the different stakeholders. How do you see, obviously, the really intense demand and the and the development there squaring against these regulatory challenges in terms of growth? I mean, as you say, if you want to get to 10x growth next year or, you know, 10x growth the year after, how does that, how, how are these going to square okay. against each other? Uh, so last week when I talked, uh, I met a few people. I, I was saying that I was at, at an event called the Florida um, Automated Vehicle Conference. And this is FAV. And this is in the sixth year running. It's a an event put together by uh, state government, in particular, State Senator Brandis, who is sort of been a champion for innovation in the uh in the vehicle space for for floridians and and uh i you know it was a great event i spoke there about micromobility there uh, there were many other topics discussed autonomy uh electric drive all the usual suspects plus you know innovation in sort of forms of planning but was it what was most enlightening to me was uh just conversation with city uh and transit people and you realize these are normal, smart people. There's nothing, you know. They're just, they're just like any employee in a in a in a startup in a way because they're they're looking at all the data. They're they're certainly aware of of the trends, and and yet they are fo- forced to live in a political environment. And that means, you know, budgeting and complaints from 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 constituents and and all the usual. Uh, the usual politics, and one of the interesting conversations was was with uh, a woman who ran the Miami Dade County um, transit system. She was in charge of the whole thing, and and the question for her was, do we widen the do we widen the streets? Um, and uh, because this is this is typical city planning stuff, you know, how do we deal with capacity issues? And when you say widen streets, you mean put in bike lanes? No, actually make make uh you know build build bigger highways which is sort of known as a bad idea but this is exactly what the what people are demanding they say we have too much traffic just make make the roads bigger and the you know the advice is to do the opposite so from from you know even though it's considered uh you know considered harmful to to widen streets for for cars 
it is still the topic of discussion within uh, city planning circles. And this is this is because the narrative hasn't yet changed uh, at, at that level. So what is the answer? The, by the way, the plans that she would be thinking about would be 20 years in the making. This is, this is 20 year planning. Exactly. For, for, for infrastructure. Yep. And, 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 you know, and, and the argument you could make simply is that the world is changing a lot faster than that. So it, you're, you're better off just holding off on that decision, number one. Uh, number two, um, you know, you're, you're going to be tempted by alternatives like electric or even light rail or other infrastructure projects, which are going to be very massively expensive and, and costly. The, the the point is this. I'm only throwing this as one data point as hundreds more you can collect. The, 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 the point about how to work with government, it's not to just say they're they're silly or they're dumb or they're slow. The answer is to educate and engage and communicate and get in the get in the weeds with them just go in and shoulder to shoulder go in there pitch them look it's the same thing at enterprise sales if you're looking at a company that is using archaic systems and you want to sell them you know something more modern you want to sell them cloud and they've been you know they're on 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 data center or or they're on data the, 20 years ago it was like oh i'm using a i'm using you know client server versus versus some kind of mainframe or, or, or something like that in the data center. And so there were switching, there were waves of change that had to happen so that the infrastructure for corporate computing would evolve. And all, it didn't happen because, you know, you just wait and see. It happened because companies like Microsoft and Oracle and Amazon come in and pitch and pitch and pitch and make clear the benefit Plus, you know, there's this effect of looking over your shoulder, seeing others do it, fear of missing out. You got an S curve going on. You got the early adopter, and so on. So it's a process. There's no silver bullet. It doesn't happen quickly, but you have to be persistent about it. Now, one thing, and this is something we're going to bring up during the the micromobility event in California. I, you know, maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit by talking about it now, but we want to create an association that actually does this. We want to create a a uh, sort of a micromobility advocacy group. Uh, I'll I'll leave the details yep. for folks when they come to the event in January. But fundamentally, this is going to be a, a, an organization that is dedicated to communication, is dedicated to uh, you could say lobbying, but it's essentially trying to appeal to governments with uh, with the platform of micromobility, and just explain what the value is on all levels right they've you know the, the, there's there's the 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 uh efficiency argument there's the uh ability to improve health the ability to increase throughput the ability to uh to uh uh, improve the economics of the city. All of these benefits need to be articulated, and all the objections need to be handled. and um, And one can do it individually, or one can do it as a group and say, "This we all believe in this platform." So I, I think it's only a matter. Uh, only it's not a, it's not trivial at all, but it, it is a matter of of persistence, education. And we're going to, we just need to make it clear. And, and of course, coming together with the podcast as we're doing now, putting together a conference is the next step and just going to the next step beyond that, that this is all part of the process. So I'd, I'd argue that we've gone through much more tremendous change in the world with other things that had to be uprooted, 
that had to be, you know, look at cellular networks, look what had to happen, you know, for billions of base stations worldwide to be installed. Uh, you know, we had concerns about health and safety. We had concerns about uh, uh, equity and economics. And yet here we are, you know, we're dealing with, with the broadband to the home. We're dealing with broadband over the air. We're dealing with billions of devices and we're dealing with with billions of people using a network, right, that didn't exist 20 years ago. So it's possible, and that's that's onerous. It's it's a very expensive process, but it is it is doable. It's fueled by profits. It's fueled by usage. It's fueled by by revenues, and those are those are coming also in this space. And so I don't see a problem. We don't have to we don't have to appeal on the basis of theory alone. We can appeal on the basis of economic value creation. We can appeal on the basis of user satisfaction. We can appeal with user user commentary and so on. So uh, it, it's it's it's. I'm just trying to give a little bit of hope here that it's not uh, it's not insurmountable. And then don't forget, we're just one year down this road. One year since, uh, since yeah, absolutely it started. I think uh, I think there's a lot of people who are pretty impatient, Horace. I'm definitely one of them. You know, obviously there's the environmental aspect to it, which is you know clearly a, a motivation for me but i i've just moved to wellington uh in new zealand and they don't have they don't have limes and i'm just you know the the so the the conversation at the moment in the council was like oh well we've got a we've got a dockless bike share trial that's going on we want to wait for that for to go for six months then we'll put it out for public opinion uh and that's going to take a, for another year to get the feedback back on that and i'm just like man you know well, don't give up just, though it, take take the matter into your hands and then begin you have to be um, you, you you have to step up and uh, go to the meetings, uh, show up and and uh, where, where where there's a there's feedback requested and and give them give them the feedback. You can appeal at the at the low level and you can appeal at the high level. You can appeal through forms like we have here, which is the podcast, which gets cited widely. We're happy to you know have tens of thousands of listeners. We then we have Twitter. We have all these other methods. Um, and and everybody knows the political process, the, the influence process is is one of persistence and grassroots and and all that. So I I'd say you know we're, we're, to me I, I'm no expert on this, but I would say that I've seen worse. I've seen harder problems solved. And so let's uh, let's just put shoulder to the wheel. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Well, I feel like that's a that's a good point at which we could uh, mention our sponsor. Yes, indeed, and um, we're delighted once again to welcome our sponsor, the the, the first sponsor of the micro mobility micro mobility podcast. It's Joyride. <laughs> so, you know, we just talked about uh, the idea of franchising, which, which is at the heart of this whole question. If you thought about starting your own bikes or scooter sharing system, um, and and you know you've actually decided on the vehicle, you've decided on on this you know, you've already picked a city maybe you live there maybe you're 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 looking like as you point out that there's 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 something missing there's something that can be uh you can bring to the table well you don't need to build your own app you don't need to build your own back end you don't need to to be a software engineer to do this uh or even to manage the fleet all you need to do is uh is is talk to joyride they have it all figured out um they they've got the integration uh, they, they've got several vehicles supported. Um, you, you know, you, you've all you need to do is uh, is work with uh, with them. And as a mobility platform, think of it as a mobility platform. Let's you as an operator <clears throat> launch a scooter or bike fleet fast and under your own brand. 
they offer a custom and elegant mobile app for riders as well as a powerful backend for fleet managers to track vehicles and manage payments. Um, and you can, uh, and to generate even more revenue, you'll use Joyride to advertise with your local partners and affiliates. All of this is combined with features like custom pricing, promos, parking, and so much more. You can even connect scooter share and bike share in the same app, which is with great, great multimodality uh, right, right on uh, off the go, off the, <laughs> uh, right, <laughs> what was the phrase? Uh, right off the bat, I try to avoid uh, colloquialism here. Um, with, a, with a hardware agnostic platform like Joyride, you also won't be tied to any specific hardware supply chain or price. Plus, Joyride partners with the most recognized brands in the business. So you'll be sure to have the best scooters and the best bike locks in the market. So with customers uh, across 10 countries already in four continents, you, you can use Joyride's proven platform with confidence. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a transit agency or a municipal authority. Joy, Joyride allows you to compete in the exploding mobility, micromobility market. With transparent and affordable pricing, it's easier than ever to start your own micromobility business. So start your own scooter or bike share system today. See more at www.joyride.city. That's C-I-T-Y. So joyride.city. And make sure to mention the micromobility podcast via the contact form on the website or when you call, and you'll receive your first month for free. So thank you to Joyride for supporting 5x5 and Micromobility Podcast. Super excited. I think very tem timely uh, timely uh, sponsorship here because that this is, this is like, as, as I said, is going to happen. It's, it's inevitable that we're going to get this. And I like the Joyride idea because... It's really not tied to any other brand. It's flexible in the vehicle choice. And like we said, tens of thousands of potential communities out there could, could use this. Well, I think about it from a perspective, you know, in New Zealand, uh, at the moment, there's two players. One, one is Lime and the other is a, is a, is a bike share, small bike share company. They, they're not particularly strong operators. But you think about it, it's like, man, you could totally go and deploy into some of these summer beach towns or whatever and build a small business and you kind of end up building these franchise models across. I mean, this, I would go fund that if someone came to me and said, oh, look, you know, I want to get a bunch of scooters and a bunch of bikes and you have the, like the low end and then you have scooters that are high end and you have e-bikes, which are even higher end. And you could build a really solid set of businesses around. Yeah, all and the think stuff about, I would. think about it as sort of modular versus integrated. I mean, integrated is what, what, what we start out with, with bird, lime, uh, Skip and Smide in Switzerland. It's like you know they work on the whole package. They got to integrate the hardware and the software and the back end, and you got to deal with with uh, operations, maintenance, sourcing, everything, and and marketing. And now it's just bro being broken out. And and the first thing to to be broken out was was charging, and right that was done as a as an outsourced or, or free you know, was it um, crowdsourced. And and now we're seeing well what's in common is the is the software and the, the so the back end and and app and that can be white label so you can put your own brand on it so that's happening with Joyride um, and I think we're going to see the vehicle side as well uh, more and more modular we're going to see probably plug and play modules like you know perhaps motor will be much easier to kind of decide what what how, what configuration you want um, and. And so that's happening, and that's all positive because it means that things can be can be more rapidly configured and much more rapidly iterated and much more rapidly deployed in scale. And so this is part and parcel of 
the the entire thesis that we're going to be looking at 10x for for quite a few years to come so uh that 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 the sort of the store of th just just to get an idea by the way moore's law motivated uh at this point nearly ha uh, half a century of computing uh and 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 the transformative nature of digital technology and that only doubled that was a doubling of the transistor count was the was the fundamental premise of Moore's law that the transistor counts would double and here we are talking about the fundamental measure of of the of this network uh, of this technology is the number of rides and we're talking about a 10x improvement on a year on a year basis now let's see if it happens i put this out as the are we going to call this the did use law <laughs> oh i'd be i'd be flattered you know i i I, that use law would be then that the micromobility rides increase by, by a factor of 10 every year. Now, let's see how long it holds. And uh, if it does, right right now we've only had one year. So we went from, from 1 to 10 and millions, and now we got to go 10 to 100. And I think that's certainly in the in, in likely now. And and then visibility beyond one, one year is hard. But, but as, let's see how long that keeps up. Incidentally, by the way, and this is something I gave in my talk when we went to the Honda the Honda um, event where we uh, we had the social event with uh, networking and micromobility networking event. Uh, by the way, Honda is our sponsor also for for Micromobility California. So we'd love to have you guys come there and and shake hands with Honda. Thanks thanks to them again for for making this happen. Um, but uh, at that event, I, I I I put out the fact that if you run this. 10x for five years. Let's 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 talk about that. It goes so we're at 10 million in year one. We're at just order of magnitude. 10 million in year one, 100 million in year two, a billion in year three, right? And then 10 billion in year four, then 100 billion in year five. 100 billion is the order of magnitude. And if you go one more, six, so five from today, you you're getting to a trillion rides a year. And I mean, well, it'll be cumulative, but it doesn't matter because like 90% will be in the last year. So, yeah. so this, this means, you know, so you're, yeah, you're running at the rate of in, in another five years from now, we could be at the rate of a trillion uh, rides. And if each ride is a mile, then you're dealing with a trillion miles. But this is important because the entire addressable market of miles for cars is 14 trillion a, a year. Light, light vehicles are 14 trillion a year. So again, we're looking at, at flipping uh, a significant portion, if not creating new, new rides, but certainly potentially flipping quite a lot of, of car rides to micro within five years. And that's the order of back. Now, that would have to hold the dead use law, if you want to call it that. It would have to hold for, for another five years. And then we flip the first big chunk, which is a trillion miles. So so that's that's where this is all about. And and. When I look at things like we talk about franchise, we talk about business models, we talk about modularity, we talk about innovation in, in business models, all of that serves to feed that law, if you will, in, in, in kind of the inevitability of it is, is, is what's, what's possible. I, I think this is, the, this is the foundation of a theory of micromobility. Why is it that it's possible to grow something so quickly? As, a, as an analyst now looking at micromobility, I look at, at w what are the fundamental limits. Well, we, we know how many miles. We know how many are short miles. 
We know that there's a certain demand for very short distance travel. And I know that the size of that market, and, and we have seen this kind of growth. All I have to do is to have faith in this, in this law is to say, look, there's a tremendous demand. There's a tremendous upside. It's fairly easy to deliver this, this supply because we know scooters are easy to deliver as our bikes, then we can sort of say, yeah, you know, we can, if it's sustainable at this rate, it's probably sustainable at this rate for a lot longer. So anyway, that's the theory. Hopefully I'm right. If, I, if I'm not, I apologize. Well, I also think as well that the, the aspect about in, inducing demand as well. So there's, there's um, you know, that's just taking in purely from a substitution perspective, but actually there's, you know, the likelihood is we're also, the demand is even bigger than we are looking at and thinking about now and what and yeah, what perspective of that or like what aspect of that we don't know it might be double you know it's entirely possible that we end up with um you know we, we end up with uh, that's only effectively substituting when we get to a trillion rides or a trillion miles it's actually only substituting 500 million or oh, sorry 500 you're right million you're right of, of, orders course, of, magnitude. of course <laughs> yeah, of course it's going to be creating yeah. a lot of that and 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 the substitution won't be Idea. The reason we want substitution is because every mile taken into micro, out of macro, is going to be basically reducing carbon, and and so you can actually directly, directly. Although still scooters are not as efficient as they should be, but over time they will be. And so, uh, yeah. in micro micro in general, I think is is just going to be an order of magnitude less uh, less carbon per mile and passenger mile driven. Um, this is why. Uh, you can actually look at the data. There's a Wikipedia page I, lo- I found which shows the um, the joules. So this is energy per uh, uh, passenger kilometer, right? So per per, per uh, uh, person distance, right? So so uh, and 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 when you when you ask, okay, how how is that joule uh, uh, provided? Uh, when you when you when you okay so cars are like thousands versus versus bicycles being single digits it's 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 like three orders of magnitude right in terms of energy and then you ask well how how is that energy provided by the way they even include like if if you are not using a motor so you know human power is still requires energy and that energy is provided by food and you can ask where where's that and how is that energy impacting um you know carbon and and so so you can calculate it's not that difficult to you know maybe it was a good paper to write at some point is is uh given a certain rate of change in 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 miles driven and certain substitution rate of micro how much carbon is going to be uh kept in the ground because you know carbon goes from the ground into the air that's where it's trouble so uh, so you you want to you want to avoid putting more in the air and instead Either you know you want to capture it instead, uh, possibly to yeah. To well, revert. it's um, yeah. We actually there's a there's a guy um on on Twitter called Chester, but he works for the Department of Energy, and he um he did some initial calculations around the potential um, emissions reductions of scooters. But he and I really, I mean, I really kind of dug in quite deeply with him around it. Um, and he's actually he's like, oh, I'll go off and do the calculations about what that would be. So hopefully we may uh, be able to yeah. get him on the podcast at some stage yeah, to, it's, to, it's, to understand what those calculations would look like. It's a it's 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 in some ways academic, but the point is that you can put a number on it. And so when you do, you're more persuasive. Going back to the question of how do you deal with 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 uh, with with uh, uh, policymakers, is that you can then say, look, every 
X number of scooters you deploy is going to reduce the number of of miles driven by car by a certain amount. And then those that are going to impact pollution, they're going to impact quality of life, and they're going to impact the environment in general. And and so, you know, do, doing your part in, in a, on a global scale. But this isn't an environmental pitch. I mean, it, to me, this is a consequence of people having fun. Uh, riding these vehicles is going to be more interesting, more fun, more more healthy, more more economical. So we're delivering utility, we're delivering value, we're delivering a better solution, less congestion, all these other things. And one of the side effects is you get to actually take carbon out of the air or keep it out of the air. So this is, and you might actually, if 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 our projections are right, then we might be doing this on a grand scale, when, on a significant scale, and potentially a a, a truly a scale that, that is impactful. So anyway, I, I don't want to oversell this. I just think it's a nice consequence. Uh, at some point, we should be able to quantify it. Anyway, Excellent. so cool. what are the topics? Did we have something else we wanted to talk about today? I forgot. Um, I don't think so it's specifically, though. I do have one one really, um, you know, I've come across a company, um, as we've talked a lot about, um, um, you know, the variability of, of weather. Um, there's a company that I came across that's um, that's quite interesting, and I'd love to Tell, tell you a little bit about it and then again let's let's have a discussion about it so a company called uh, velo metro they, they run a, a um a system called vimo um they're based in vancouver and what they oh, built yes. is cabin electric cabin bicycles so they're they're sort of looks like pods but the, because they are pedal powered they're like the the the, the pedal x you know they only they only go forward if you're pedaling um they're considered to be electric bicycles um they're, they look like trikes, but they've got a cabin on them, so they work in the weather. They did a trial in UBC, effectively confirmed it, and now they're looking to launch in Vancouver. Now, um, the thing that's interesting that I see about them is that they're effectively functioning like cars because they're cabins, but um, but because they're bikes and they're electrically powered and they are in part human powered, they're able to utilize the bike lanes and the bike infrastructure. So they have this really interesting thing of on a shared network, don't require driver's licenses and everything like that. So yep. as you think about it, I mean, I look at that system and I'm like, man, I don't know if they'll hold it themselves because obviously the challenge with that is there's not a huge amount of IP that one company can have around all this stuff that's, you know, hugely defensible. And I can see China just coming along and volume manufacturing something like this, you know, for way cheaper than they could ever do it for themselves. But I think this is a really interesting solution that I could see getting really, really, really popular. This is not a surprise because if if you think about how the baby grows up, you know, first question is, what is the right size baby to begin with? You know, is it a bike or is it a scooter? But what, so, we, you know, we got to have a product market fit. It turned out the, the scooter is actually taking off in the U.S. The bike might actually work better in, in, in China and the e-bike might work better in Europe. But but we'll see whether these things converge or diverge or, or we end up with sort of some indigenous preferences. But nonetheless, the, the, the still the, the, this isn't the final form factor. What I expect is evolution to happen which means that it begins to fill in new niches. And one of them is, is clearly that the first objection I get is, what about the weather? What about carrying passengers or cargo? What about dealing with, uh, with safety? And, and all these questions uh, from an engineering point of view is like, oh yeah, let me sketch you the solution because what we have here is, is clearly uh, uh, an attempt to solve these very problems with a vehicle that still preserves the uh, the qualities and the, and the 
the requirements of a uh, a, um, a bike lane vehicle or or uh, get a micro vehicle. So so these these um, th- these vehicles are shelters. They're uh, sufficient size for carrying more than one person. Maybe maybe not quite two people, but certainly maybe some additional cargo that might be comfortable. They're sa- safer because they're more stable. They're they. Um, are are going to still provide you with some exercise and yet provide you with with um, uh, w- with uh, with assistance and therefore some speed and it, it, it's all it's all part of and it's not you know I, I'm sure there's a there's a great success here in the trial but I've seen prototypes before the velomobiles have been around for a long time which are uh, recumbent uh, uh, cycles with with uh, with fairings that allow for aerodynamic efficiency, and those are the, the most efficient vehicles ever made. Um, now, th- this is more as a stand-up, uh, oh sorry, stand-up, sit-up uh, vehicle, and therefore a little taller. Um, but but we've we've had various iterations on this theme of of a covered bicycle. Yeah, with the. There's also the Alpha as well, which I think is based in um, is based yeah. in Portland, which so has been, yeah. As, I'm in that, very, in that vein. yeah. I'm very excited about this. I, I think there's going to be a this. Uh, you can call this a higher end product, but it's it, it, depending on how it's configured with with power. It might actually deliver more speed. It might deliver more distance. It might be deliver more safety. Um, but these vehicles are definitely the the sort of the, the reaching up into the weight. But we have a lot of headroom because we got up until 500 kilograms. Again, no car is going to get below 500 kilograms. It seems to be a law of nature and that they, in fact, flee up market. And we just heard about General Motors actually abandoning more and more of the sedan market, moving up into only yeah. trucks and SUVs. Ford is doing the same. And a lot of people are saying, oh, God, this is awful. But I only see this as consistent with the theory because what you're seeing with the incumbents is that they're going to flee up market. And my definition of, of up and down in the market is weight so weight is the proxy for everything so if you're going to make heavier vehicles and you're going to push you know abandon lightweight vehicles or lighter vehicles in the case of cars all it does is opens up the bottom to these guys who are coming in from the bottom so the 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 micro mobility market right now is is arbitrarily defined as 500 kilograms but guess what if everybody leaves the sedan market it's going to be very easy for 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 micro to step in um, and is this consistent with cra- classical disruption theory that that a, a challenger like this coming in at below is welcomed? In fact, and the market flees, the incumbents flee away from it. They just say, oh, thank God you came in and took care of my, my troublesome low-end customer. Thank God you came in and I don't have to make sedans anymore. That's how it's going to be. And and so I see this as a positive sign. It allow, it gives us more room to 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 go there. So so again, vehicles which are multi-wheel, more than two wheels, vehicles which are more sit down than than ride on, vehicles that are more uh, uh, sheltered versus unsheltered. All this is progression in the right direction. Let's not also forget that when the when the when the car was new, it was an open air vehicle. It was it was, it was no roof. There was no. Uh, it was limited in in powers, limited in cargo, it was limited in in, in in passengers. It was it, it was very difficult to maintain and very difficult to keep going. All these things. And what what did the engineers at the time think of and dream of? Well, they just wanted to have it be better in all these dimensions. They wanted to have roofs on it. They wanted to have it be all weather. There were no in the in the beginning. There were no 
electric headlamps. So they were using, uh, you know, acetylene uh, uh, sort of uh, liquid fuel to to illuminate the, the road. And we, we ended up with the better starters. You had a crank starter, you ended up with an electric starter. Again, the original vehicles didn't have a battery and therefore they couldn't operate lights. They didn't have safety, they didn't have turn signals, they didn't have uh, any of these assistance that we have today. And so the logic was you start with a very basic vehicle that's essentially a glorified bicycle and you make it into what we have as the modern car today. And that modern car gets bigger and bigger and heavier and heavier. Well. And here we see the process start all over again with an electric power plant and, 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 and a position in the market that says, hey, don't look at us, we're not cars. This is important. And, and so part and parcel of the disruption story is that you are, are welcomed, you are tolerated, you are amusing, <laughs> if not, if not <laughs> ridiculed. Yeah, well, they do look ridiculous. You can imagine people looking at these things and going like, oh, what a joke, which is you know, as you say, yeah, it's, it's, it, the, it's it, you know, sort of disruption theory. First, first they laugh at you, then, uh, then they fight you, then you win. Again, this is this is classic. Uh, it's attributed to Gandhi, but apparently someone else said it before him. But uh, this this is the, yeah. this is classic disruption. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. All right. Well, we're uh, we're up against time, but um, thank you as always. I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to micro mobility conference. Um, I'll be up there. And don't forget, don't uh, any forget details? Sign up, sign up, and use, yeah, I was um, going to say use uh, the code Oliver and Horace. Fifty yeah. percent discount on that doesn't uh, get any tickets. better than that. Fifty percent is a, is, no. is is the best deal in town. And thanks again to Joyride for sponsoring the show. And um, yeah, it's it's exciting times. Awesome. All right. Talk soon.